Hello, everyone, and welcome to Monster Movie Fun Time Go. I am your host, Precious D. And I am your other host, Honey B. And today, you may have noticed we just started off talking because today we are going to premiere our new theme song. Yay! I'm so excited. Uh, Honey Bee, this was a birthday present from my brother Gabriel and my sister Lita. The best birthday present. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to speak for you, but like, wow, you guys, what a gift. Yeah. That's so cool. My brother performs under the name the Texacano Folk Rock Punk, and my sister Lita is an actress, and she recently produced and directed a short film called The Good Balloon, and I will put links to all of their stuff in our show notes. Yeah, check it out. Now, let's hear the world premiere of our new <laughs> theme song. Yay! One, two, three, four. Monster Movie. Fun time, go! Monster Movie. Fun time, go! Monster Movie. Fun time, go! Movie. Movie. Time go. Go. With Precious D and Honeybee. Yay! Yay. Oh my gosh. So for those of you who maybe have come to the podcast late, who aren't listening to this on the week that it released, you might be saying to yourselves, what the fuck do you mean new theme song? That's the theme song I, I've already heard. That's because I will have gone back and inserted it into our older episodes and replaced the uh, piece of stock music that we've been using from Anchor. Yeah, take your stock music back. We don't <laughs> need it anymore. As soon as I uh, have a little time, I can go back and replace that in all the old episodes. Uh, I'm going to do that in our regular episodes. I'm going to leave the Halloween ones the way they are because I had had a I have a different opening thing for that to distinguish them from our regular episodes so those will stay the way they are oh. and speaking of theme songs oh my gosh <laughs> this theme song today's movie is thinking, what a great movie to um like premiere our theme song yeah. because of this theme song yes. Today's movie, in case you haven't read the title of the episode, is The Blob from 1958. And it has what is simultaneously an awesome and ridiculous theme song in the opening credits. It's so funny. Written by one Mr. Burt Bacharach. Bacharach. Who is, uh, Honeybee, are you familiar with Mr. Bacharach's oeuvre? Nope. He's a fairly famous songwriter from the uh, 70s, 60s. Well, this, oh, okay. this movie is 1958, but I'm not sure how well known he was at the time. <laughs> I didn't do any research on this specifically, but I'm going to guess that this was pretty early in his career. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so good. And so bad at the same time. It's just happy. As soon as it started, I had to rewind it and listen to it again because it was so happy. But I was instantly excited about the movie. I was like, I don't know if this is going to be good or if it's going to be bad. But this thing, <laughs> theme song has got me going. Yeah. The thing about it is, though, it, the tone is does not match 
the tone of the film. Yeah. It's a bot. If you haven't heard it, go to YouTube right now. If you haven't watched the movie, just go to the YouTube and just listen to the theme. Beware of the blob. It's it's, it's several hilarious. several videos of it up on YouTube. It's a bossa nova, but it's a very catchy, snappy little thing, uh, warning us to beware of the blob because it creeps and leaps and slides and glides across the floor. Beware of the blob, it creeps and leaps and glides and slides across the floor, right through the door, all around the wall, a splotch, a blotch, be careful of the blob. Honeybee, have you never seen the Austin Powers movies? Uh, Yes, I have. I haven't seen them recently, though. It's been a while. In the first one, there's a moment where Austin turns to the camera and says, and now, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Burt Bacharach. Oh, okay. Yeah, I do remember that. Yeah. And then in the second one, he does the same thing with Elvis Costello. But I think he's singing a Burt Bacharach song. Okay. Anyway, that's where maybe some of the younger people may have encountered Burt. (laughs) In Austin Powers. Yes, in Austin Powers. Nice. Now, this, uh, let me get some stats here for the movie. Let me get my stat sheet out here. As I said, 1958. It's in color. Yay. Whoa. Hey, oh. 86 minutes, directed by Irvin Yearworth and stars Steve McQueen, credited as Stephen McQueen. Academy Award nominated Steve McQueen. Star of such films as The Sand Pebbles, where the nomination came from, The Thomas Crown Affair, Bullet, and The Magnificent Seven. He begins his career. I don't know if this is the first thing he ever did, but it's very early in his career in this teenage horror monster movie. <laughs> is he the main character? He's the yeah, main he's guy the main guy. Seen. He's Steve. He's How Steve. old is he? He is a grown ass man. He is. Christ. It's so awkward. He is. 28 years old. He is 28 years old when he made this movie, playing a teenager. Like a soft 33. Like, yeah. oof. Yeah, he, he, <laughs> he looks like he's in his 30s. Yes, he looks, he looks every minute of those 28 years. <laughs> he does not look like a 17 or 18 year old, which he is meant to be playing. Uh, his co-star is 26, I think. Mm-hmm. I wrote it. It's somewhere here in my notes. She is also not a teenager, but she looks a little more close to a teenager. She looks closer in some shots. And then <laughs> in some other scenes, I'm like, well. There, I mean, there's a long tradition of grown ass people playing teenagers. I think when I was a teenager, I never quite felt like a teenager because all the teenagers I had seen as a child were in their freaking 30s. Wow. <laughs> yeah, every, everybody on Welcome Back, Cotter, and Happy Days, and in Greece and uh, yeah. things like that, they're all grown-ass men and women. <laughs> yeah, at one point in this film, I wrote, this, this is very Greece without the music. <laughs> <laughs> Though I think that this movie is actually a very pro-teenager movie. In 1958, there was this sort of idea of teenagers as juvenile delinquents. Mm-hmm. And there are certainly a number of movies about teenagers as juvenile delinquents. Mm-hmm. And, well, you know, West Side Story kind of thing. They're all going to rumbles and getting in fight. And in Greece, they're having yeah. a rumble. And, the outsider. Uh, get, although Greece is, you know, made in the 70s looking back at the 50s. But 
or... Yeah, the outsiders, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And although there are some mild shenanigans partway through the movie with the driving backwards, on the whole, the, the teenagers are very much the heroes of the film. Yeah, totally. They are the ones that find out something is going wrong, and they are the ones that try to do something about it. And mm-hmm. they're very helpful throughout the film. So I just find that interesting. Uh, it might be better if some of them had actually been teenagers. <laughs> <laughs> or at least just a little bit younger. Yeah. Yeah. Or even not even really younger, but you just have to look the part, like look a certain age. And they really miss the mark with this one yeah steve mcqueen just does not i have to wonder if he even looked like a teenager when he was a teenager when, when he was yeah <laughs> seriously that jawline he's he is very he has very uh aggressively <laughs> masculine features yeah yeah so anyway on to the movie itself we just start right off with the smooching action yeah which is already awkward yeah so like i don't even know who these people are <laughs> and they're <laughs> They're smooching. But this is not the first movie that started out with a couple making out in a car. With a little necking. And they see a shooting star. And we find out our teenagers are Steve. <laughs> Steve McQueen playing Steve. <laughs> and Janie Girl. But she does not care for that nickname. She says it's just Jane. So it gets kind of awkward. Yeah, it's like even the making out scene is just like from the get awkward because she says no like they're kissing they kiss 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 they pull away and then he goes to kiss her again and she's like no and oh, you're yeah i thought that well i think that was part of because he called her janie girl and for some reason that turned her off i felt like it was before he called her janie girl like, there was no talking yet okay it was like <laughs> we're making out we're making out we pull away you want to make out some more no <laughs> What a scene. What a, way, what a way to start after that theme song. Yeah. It was kind of a... Uh, yeah. A uh, but then they see a shooting star, and it's very close because they hear a, an incoming whistle and a crash. Mm-hmm. Then we cut to a dog barking and a man in a cabin, and the old man goes out to check out what happened and finds a meteorite, and as you do, pokes it with a stick. <laughs> And it kind of, the meteorite kind of looks like a Ferrero Rocher candy in the sense of like, (laughs) it's kind of hard and chocolatey on the outside. Uh But then when you like crunch it open, there's a delicious slimy center waiting for you. (laughs) So Yes. And it does, it opens up when he pokes it and the goo, and and then he pokes the goo, which sort of (laughs) leaps up up the stick and onto his hand and latches onto him. And then the kids drive up looking for the meteor, the meteorite. I believe once it hits the ground, it's a, when it's going through the air, it's a meteor. And when it hits the ground, it becomes a meteorite. The more you know. <laughs> and they are, they're looking for it. They can't find it. Uh, and let's go back to town and have a sandwich. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, he's going to apologize to her. Over with a, a sandwich, by way yeah. of a sandwich. Okay, let me buy you an apology sandwich. Mm-hmm. And they almost hit the old man in in the road. And being good, relatively responsible teenagers, they pick him up and take him to the doctor. Yes, and he keeps saying like weird things, like he's like murmuring things, like that it hurts. And and I'm thinking at this point, like, is the slime 
sucking the life out of him. What is happening? I think it's got a corrosive element to it. I think it's burning him. Oh, okay. But yeah, it's okay. probably already trying to digest him from his from his hand. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they take him to Dr. Hallen, who is just about to leave. And they pass, as they're getting to the, uh, driving to the doctor, they're driving quickly, and they pass another car, and this, the guys in this other car take offense that they've mm-hmm. been passed. Which these guys, these guys do look a little bit more younger. Yeah, I didn't they look up. They look closer to the age they're supposed to, which makes them standing next to Steve ten times worse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did not look up each of them to see uh, what their <laughs> ages were, but that's because I didn't look at them and go, they're not teenagers. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So they get to the doctor. Yeah. And they, oh, but this other car chases them because they oh, get yeah. offended by being, by being passed. Mm-hmm. They think he's trying to race. Mm-hmm. So they chase and they, uh, but they catch the doctor before he leaves and he uh, examines the hand, which is now, the thing is now covering his whole arm. Which I have a question. Yes. Is it polite to call someone an old timer? Because um, the doctor just no. <laughs> continues, like continuously, like keeps calling this poor man old timer. And it feels really rude. Do, do, to his face? Yes. Yeah, um, because the man is like groaning and he's saying like it hurts, and then right. the doctor's like, "Calm down, old timer, lay here, old timer," and he keeps referring. To, and I was just thinking, um, "Ouch!" <laughs> like rude is that? It just didn't feel polite, especially right. for someone who's in pain. You know, I had never thought about it because nobody calls anyone that anymore. Yeah. Probably because it's fucking rude. It is, but I think when I, I guess it depends on your tone. <laughs> okay, okay. I guess it's a little bit like the, you know, the old, the old guy might refer to a young person as a youngster, and do they, and and do, would they? It, I guess it sort of depends on who's calling you it. Yeah, I guess so. But yeah, no, at that time, an older person might refer to the a young person as a youngster. Mm-hmm. But if you say young whippersnapper, well, that's clearly derogatory. <laughs> but I don't know if it's roughly equivalent to calling someone a boomer now, because boomer is definitely meant as an insult. Right. Or at least the way it's used in the past few years. Yeah, I feel like boomer is more, say, political than old timer. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't always to just say that someone was a baby boomer was just identifying their generation. But mm-hmm. to just say, okay, boomer. <laughs> Mm-hmm. That's that's definitely an insult. Uh, so I I don't think I mean because he's a doctor. I think in the context of when this was made, old timer was not necessarily rude. Rude, yeah. But I I get your point. <laughs> I was like, oh my goodness! And then we get a really good. I think this is probably the best Philo moment that we've gotten because uh-huh. the doctor's like, hey, you kid that uh, knows nothing about this, right? go investigate this. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. See if you can find out what happened. Uh, but yeah, Steve doesn't know who the man is. Uh, has, and the thing is, it's a very small town. Mm-hmm. And everybody else seems to know everybody else in the town, but they don't know who this old guy is. So that seemed yeah. a little, that struck me as a little odd. Uh, but yeah, they they sedate the uh, old timer and he asked Steve <laughs> to go see if he can find out what happened. And when he leaves, the other teens are waiting outside for him like they, uh, and they want to race. And they 
claim that they could beat this kitty car backwards. And so he says, okay, let, <laughs> let's race backwards. <laughs> backwards it is. Uh, and of course, the a cop sees them doing this. Dave. Dave the good cop. Dave the good cop. Aw. We like Dave. Yes. He uh, sees this going on and stops them. And at first, he's not quite sure. Did I really see what I thought I saw? And he stops him and kind of questions him. And when he finds out, wait, you really were driving backwards? That's what the hell, man? <laughs> but he lets him off. He's like, don't do it again. And he promises he won't. And he lets them go and they meet up with the other teens and they all say that you're lucky it wasn't Sergeant Burt because mm -hmm. Sergeant Burt is an asshole who is not protein. Right. <laughs> Sergeant Burt, we find out, is a very these kids today, although he's not that old. So I was I was just about to say when I finally saw Burt and they and I found out who he was, I was thinking, wait, no, he is so young. Yes, but he was in the war. Ay, ay, ay. I the casting. Bird is paranoid that the kids don't like him because they resent his war record or some shit like that. Ay, yeah. Uh, I, yeah. Bird's a dick. <laughs> a young one at that. And they tell the story of the prank that they played stealing Gig's car. Oh yeah, this is why I thought Bert was old because. Bert ends up helping them steal helping his them steal car. A, yes, yes. And he says, you should have seen Bert almost dropped his teeth. <laughs> but then we see Bert and he's like four or something. Like he's a young gentleman. <laughs> so weird. Yeah. <laughs> but he's like, I, yeah, I can't race you now. I got to go check on uh, people for the dock. And mm -hmm. they're, they're always going to, they're like, come to the movies with us. Fuck that. Come to the movies. And he's like, well, maybe later. And at the docks, it's getting worse. Yeah, the slime is getting real. It's really turning into a blob. And he tries to call Dr. Gilpin. So he and Dr. Gilpin were supposed to be leaving town to go to a conference. And this becomes a problem later when the police don't believe them at first. They can't confirm anything. And people are like, what, what do you mean you talked to the doc? He left town already. Mm -hmm. The blob is moving under the blanket, though. And... He calls Kate to come help. Kate is his nurse, and she'd already left, but she comes. She'd already gone home, but he calls her, and she comes in to help. Yeah, we get a good moment here while he's on the phone with Kate. I think he's on the phone with Kate, where he mm -hmm. says um, that he thinks it's a parasite and that yes. they may, he may have to amputate the arm, and then he says that he that they don't know what it is or where it came from. Yes, parasite assimilating the man's flesh. Ooh. And then the teens are at the crater and the rock is hot. And I heard once that meteorites, actually, they're always portrayed as hot in movies because mm -hmm. people assume that the friction of coming through the atmosphere heats them up. Mm -hmm. But I'd heard that they're actually cold Oh, because they've been in, in space. And even though they do get heated up coming through the atmosphere, it's not enough to relative to how cold they were before they started coming through the atmosphere. They um, are still cold when they hit the wow. ground. Wow, that's interesting. But anyway, this one is, rot, is hot. And uh, Mooch, Tony, and Al? Mm, yeah, those are the kids. They mentioned something, uh, but I don't know why I've written it down. Oh. 
they must say say something. Anyway, we find out the other three guys that were, you know, wanting to race are named Mooch, Tony, and Al. Are they? Oh, are they all at the crater with them? Have they not? Yeah, gone to they, the movie? He does, they haven't gone he, to the movie he yet. Them, he talks them all into going with yes. him. He's like, it'll only take a half hour, and then yeah. we'll all go to the movies together after. So they all go to this uh, to the spot. Which, by the way, this dog that's like barking, but you yes. don't see him actually barking. I thought the first time that we heard the dog barking in the beginning of the movie, like this bark sounds really fake. It almost sounds like a person doing it. <laughs> and then when you actually meet the dog, which is in this scene, um, and the dog's like super timid and scared. I'm like, oh, yeah, that was a fake bark. Who who <laughs> was barking? Are they in the credits? <laughs> I don't think it says... <laughs> unnamed dog voiced by <laughs> so-and-so as the voice of the dog uh, but yeah the the old man's dog the old timer's dog is barking at a house nearby and they go to look nobody's home but the dog and so they just take the dog yeah she's like let him out i'm like let him out yeah. that is not what you should do right. What? right yeah if you can confirm that this is the old timer's house come back and feed the dog the next day but don't just let him out well yeah they take the dog with them yeah they take the dog and they say uh come to this spooky show meanwhile at the doctor's kate has returned and the man is gone and the blob is there the blob is completely consumed the old absorbed time absorbed him as it does this it grows uh so it's a little bigger than it was before mm-hmm and the doctor's like, we got to kill it before it gets bigger. <laughs> and tells Kate to get the trichloriatic acid behind her and throw it at the and blob. make sure it doesn't touch your hands. <laughs> like, damn, you just got this shit laying around. Yeah, and it appears to have no effect. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited at this point to see how big the blob is going to get. Yeah, so the doc gets his gun and Kate panics and knocks out the light and the blob got her. We don't yeah. see at her, do we? But we can assume. No. Yeah, she falls and does that. Uh, did I mention the death count? The death count in this movie is anywhere between six and 50. <laughs> I think we only actually see one person die on screen, mm-hmm. but there are other people that we know do get killed. We know the old man got killed. We know Kate got killed. We know a projectionist gets killed. But at one point, the sheriff is on the phone to the Capitol or someplace, and he is saying this thing has killed 40 or 50 40 people. 40 to 50 people, yeah. And judging by how big it gets, it probably took out a lot of people. Well, I'm getting ahead of us, but in the movie theater, it probably took out a lot of people based on how big it got. Mm-hmm. But the, uh, the doctor locks the door and dials the phone and Steve and Jane arrive and it looks like there's no one home but because when she for some reason when she knocked over the lamp it just blew out all the lights all of them everywhere yeah which they say later when they find the lamp it must have blown a fuse yeah which doesn't really make sense to me but at least they covered their bases I guess (laughs) yes yes I don't know (laughs) I just knocking it over would cause some kind of power surge and flip the breaker or whatever but it does <laughs> so he, he goes to check the garage and steve sees the blob get the doctor at the window yeah through like two blinds yeah 
and he and kind of freaks out and they decide to go to the police like responsible young teenagers <laughs> just there's so, so many movies whether they be horror movies or or crime movies or thrillers or whatever where if people just went to the police <laughs> in the first well, place the police yeah but no but you know people are always either trying to cover it up or solve the problem themselves or whatever of course going to the police in this movie it takes a while to get the police to to believe you but why yeah. would they yeah well, this is where we meet Bert, though. Yes. At the station, Ricky Richie keeps a chess game set up in his drawer. Steve and Jane come in and try to explain how the doctor was killed. And Jim thinks it's a gag. But we have to check it out. It's a gag, which I guess means <laughs> prank, but it's <Yes>. hilarious. <laughs> gag. And, and they leave. Uh, is Jim the same as Bert? Yeah, I think I think his name is Jim Burt. Yeah, he thinks it's a it's a gag, but they got to go check it out, and they leave Richie behind, who calls the Donington HQ on the radio to give his chest moved. <laughs> this doesn't have anything to do with anything. It was just an interesting little character moment. Richie is playing chess remotely with a guy in a similar position to him. In a police headquarters in another city. Hilarious. And we find out here that the town that we're in is East Cornwall. And they exchange a couple of moves and it looks like Richie loses the game. Because <laughs> <laughs> when the guy gives his move, he's like, oh, damn it. Yeah. Uh, you sunk my battleship. Uh, <laughs> that's, not, that's not how chess works. <laughs> the cops and kids are at the doctor's and the sign says closed all day Saturday. I don't know why I thought that was important to write down. <laughs> don't go in. The thing might be waiting. The lights are not working. And the door where Steve saw the doctor is locked from the inside. So the room that Steve looked through the window at to, and saw the doctor is locked from the inside. And then at this moment, Jane realizes she doesn't know where the dog is. The little dog, she calls it. But the cops get the lights on and the door open and the room is a mess, but there's no sign of the doctor. And they, But they can tell the gun has been fired. Of course, there's no sign of the doctor because the blob completely absorbed him. Jim thinks the kids did it, but Dave points out that the door and the window are both locked from the inside. Mm -hmm. And then Mrs. Porter shows up, who's some kind of yeah. housekeeper. I was like, who is this crazy bat? <laughs> I assume that she's a housekeeper who works for the doctor. Oh, okay. Because I was like, what is this? Like, what? Yeah. what? <laughs> yeah, but I don't know why she's just now showing up. She doesn't act like a neighbor. She acts like somebody who belongs in the house, but she has a different last name than the doctor. She is Mrs. Porter, presumably married to Mr. Porter. So I think she's just come to check on the house because she thinks the doctor's out of town mm -hmm. at the convention, which undermines Steve's story. And they point out that the mm -hmm. car's in the garage, but he could have gone with Dr. Gilpin. Sometimes when they go to these things, Dr. Gilpin picks them up and they go together. And then Mrs. Porter starts destroying evidence. <laughs> yeah. By cleaning the place up. 
That's how that. That's why I thought she's a housekeeper because she starts cleaning things up. Oh, and she does say, "You do your job, and I'll do mine." To the yeah. cop. Yes. So, yeah, yes. that does make sense. Meanwhile, at a little mechanic shop. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, but uh, they're going to check with the hotel that they're supposed to be staying at. The two doctors are supposed to be staying at to see if they're there. Oh, right. Yeah. But yeah, they're clearly not believing this story. And we cut to an auto shop and there's some small talk about a drunken hunting trip. Mm-hmm. And uh, Marty, which is the other guy, there's two guys talking. Marty leaves and the other guy is under the car and keeps talking. He doesn't realize Marty has left. Mm-hmm. And the blob approaches and gets him underneath the car. <laughs> Back at the station, parents have been called. Jane's dad is the high school principal, we find out. Mm-hmm. And Steve's dad also shows up. And Steve tries to tell him that the doc was killed by a monster. And his dad appears to believe him. Yeah. Uh, he's like, well, my son's not a liar. If he says there was an amorphous blob from outer space that ate the doctor, then by golly. <laughs> uh, and ask Jane if she saw it. And, well, no, she didn't exactly see it. Which is true. She never got a good look at it. And it was under the old timer's coat, I think, when they were taking him to the doctor. And she didn't see the doctor get killed through the window. So let's all go home. But Steve's dad backs him up. And Jane's dad is just worried about her reputation. Mm -hmm. So he's a dick. (laughs) Steve's dad is supportive. Jane's dad is just worried about, I think he actually is worried about his reputation. Yeah, his own reputation. His his reputation. So, uh, fuck him. Uh, Again, Richie says maybe it's a gag, like when the fraternities stuck a bathing suit to the statue of General Hayes. (laughs) And then Jim calls in and reports that, I guess he's been canvassing the neighborhood and some people did hear gunshots. Some mm-hmm. of the doctor's neighbors heard did hear gunshots, so at least he's confirmed part of the story. That, well, and they already knew the gun had been fired, so the, they have good reason to believe the doctor was shooting something, or somebody was. Yeah. Cut to Jane sneaking out of the house. Yeah, after she has this weird moment with her little brother, Danny. Yes. Who, I hate to be this person, and I hate to say this, but seems a little older than he fucking should be. Oh, yeah? Yeah, like, what is, I mean, at least cast the kid right, you know? Uh I just feel like everyone in this movie was just (laughs) too old for their roles. Uh, Okay, I didn't interpret it that way, but um, I just found him kind of annoying. And weird. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, he almost blows her her cover, it's, and uh, it's because he's a seven year old playing a three and a half year old. That's okay. what's weird. <laughs> he thought his just behavior was too immature for his size. Yeah, yeah, for his yeah, it was, it was weird. Yeah, weird. he he wants to go, and she uh, bribes him with the promise of a dog. Yeah. <laughs> that she has lost track of, unless she's planning to just go buy another dog. I don't know what. <laughs> I think it's the dog, but I could be wrong. Yeah. But it yeah. really does feel like it's the little dog that she has lost. Yes, uh, but I yeah, I know a dog that's going to need a new owner. So Yeah, and I'm not going to ask our parents or anything. I'm just going to promise this to you, little Danny. Yeah. 
And then at his house, Steve is pretending to be asleep, uh, and he sneaks out while we hear his parents talking about him and the situation. And Jane startles him because she's already snuck out and all the way over at his house. So she's ahead of him. At this point, I decided to find out who Jane was. She's played by Anita Corsot, who played Andy Griffith's girlfriend on the Andy Griffith show for a few seasons. So that's, apart from this, that's probably the thing she is best known for. Nice. And then later was Judge Cynthia Justin on Matlock, which also starred Andy Griffith. Nice. She is 25 years old at the time this movie was made. Heck yeah. Steve is confused and goes over what they know. Yes. And And in this moment, Mm -hmm. there is smoke behind him. And I was like, is this important or should I be paying attention to this? No, it turns out probably someone maybe in the crew or something is smoking (laughs) a cigarette because you can actually see them exhale. Like it's just cigarette smoke. I am not kidding you. I was like, why is there smoke behind him? I didn't notice. Yeah, someone is just smoking a cigarette. (laughs) I'm not kidding. Uh, I'm going to have to go. I'm going to have to go back and look at that. <laughs> yes, please do. It's right whenever he's, um, when, you know, when Jane gets him and he's going through everything that happened. It's right after he says flying saucers. Yes. That's the next <laughs> thing I was going to mention was flying saucers. It's right after that. So funny. Or like right in that part. This is something we've seen in a couple other movies that there's not a flying saucer, but people are comparing the current thing to flying saucers. Mm-hmm. So he mentions something about how, well, people see flying saucers, but I can't remember the point he was making about it, but that we saw a thing we couldn't explain and people see flying mm-hmm. saucers. But he doesn't speculate that the blob came from a flying saucer. I mean, at this point, they're no. pretty, they, they I think they realize it came from the meteor. Mm-hmm. No, I don't think anyone ever says it out loud, but they seem to understand that that's what happened. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, okay. People in their right minds see things they didn't see, is what he says in regards to flying saucers. Yeah, because he has this moment of doubt of where he's like, yes. "I'm not sure that I saw the doctor get absorbed by right. a blob." Right. Because mm-hmm. well, and it's a yeah, it's an unusual occurrence. Yeah, yeah. But it doesn't mean that we're crazy mm-hmm. because maybe we're mistaken about what we saw. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Jane gives him a little pep talk. Mm-hmm. He says something now that 64 years later is so relevant and prescient. He says, how do you get people to protect themselves from something they don't believe in? Mm. So everybody just sit with that for a moment. (laughs) Proof. We got to go out and look for it. Get the car. They push it out of the... They push the car out of the driveway, out of the garage and down the driveway so the parents won't hear him start it up. Mm-hmm. And Steve says, I don't give much for our chances, but I guess he's like, we got to do it anyway. Somebody's mm-hmm. got to do it. Tony, Mooch, and Al might help. And so they go find the guys at the theater and convince them to go. Yay. And here we find out that it was 80 cents a ticket to see yes. the movie. Yep. <laughs> yep. Oh, my mother used to go to movies for like a nickel. 
And you and you would get a double feature and a cartoon and a newsreel and sometimes a short film also. Wow. And a movie serial like a Buck Rogers or Flash Gordon or something like that. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Mm -mm. Movie serials? Mm -mm. Serial with an S. It was it was almost like a TV show in that there would be this. They get you coming back every week. It would be an episode of an ongoing story. Oh, okay. And you'd have to come to the theater the next week to see the next part. Dang. Buck Rogers, Flash Gordon, various adventure things, mysteries, science fiction, adventure. There was a Batman one. There's various jungle adventures. There's all kinds of different stories, but generally adventure type stories that were done in a serial format. Oh. You'd ha- yeah, you'd have to come every week if you wanted to see the whole thing. But you get all of that for like a nickel. Yep. Wow. The movie that is being shown in the theater is Daughter of Horror, which is a re-edit of a movie called Dementia. And Ed McMahon is the narrator. Ed yep. McMahon, sidekick to Johnny Carson, both of whom are dead and something that old people know about. <laughs> <laughs> Are you old enough to remember Johnny Carson? Um, I'm not old enough to remember, but I feel like I know someone who loves Johnny Carson. Okay. Or loves Johnny Carson, so I do know, you know who Johnny who that Carson is. is. Okay. He was the, he was the best, mm-hmm. and Ed was his sidekick. This part, I just uh, outside the theater, the poster that's hanging outside the theater is oh yeah it's the freaking colossal no uh, no 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 no, that's the next that's that's next week's movie oh no this this one is this one is very weird because the poster is a forbidden planet poster but it's been modified the picture is a robbie the robot carrying the woman from the forbidden planet poster but it's been modified the words on the poster read Amazing, more horrifying than Dracula, Bella Lugosi in The Vampire and the Robot featuring Robot Mark II. I po- oh. I paused the movie so I could read all of that because I was like, that's Forbidden Planet, but it doesn't say Forbidden Planet. What is happening here? Weird. I want to see this non-existent movie, <laughs> The Vampire and the Robot. Oh <laughs> I have gosh. no idea why they did this. Why? I mean, obviously, they didn't have the rights to Forbidden Planet, but they still felt they could use the picture from it as long as they changed the words. I guess they could because they did. (laughs) And it was okay. But it was okay to use Bella Lugosi's name (laughs) because it also says on the on the uh, marquee, it says Daughter of Horror, also Bella Lugosi. As if that is the title hmm. of the other movie that's showing with Daughter of Horror. Weird. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, but I just love it. I... <laughs> uh, so Steve tells them that there was something in the rock we found. Oh, here, here's we know, where we find out that, yes, they know. There was something in the rock we found that could destroy the town. We're going to find it and make people believe us. And then we cut to the cops at the station. Let's try Johnsonville again. Oh, that's where the that's where the doctors have gone. They're going to try and call the hotel in Johnsonville, see if they've come if they've shown up. And Jim just came back 
from a bar that was empty, abandoned, the TV still on and money in the register. So presumably the blob went through the bar and killed everybody in there. Mm-hmm. No luck. Oh, no luck finding the doctors. And then Dave goes home. <laughs> okay. Good night. <laughs> the teens try to warn people at a party. So the teens just kind of go around town trying to warn people mm-hmm. and nobody's paying any attention. And the dog is found at the doorway. Yay! You found the dog that you promised. Conveniently in the doorway of Steve dad, Steve's dad's store. And the door is open. And Mr. Windermeyer, who apparently closes up the store, should have locked the door. He should have. So Steve goes in and finds the broom and the blob and cans. <laughs> I think a bunch of cans get knocked over and Jane gets knocked out. Yeah, Jane Jane sees the blob and passes out, <laughs> question mark. Like, what the hell? Yeah. Oh, and then Steve, like, Spider-Man's over the aisle to prove that he really is a 16-year-old yes. boy. Uh, I didn't mention this earlier in our stats, but the the movie gets a racism factor of one because there's no non-white people in it in the world anywhere. Uh, but a sexism factor of, uh, I guess, one. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what our sexism scale is, but everybody stays very much in their lane of their gender roles in this movie. You know? Yeah. The women are all wives, except for the one professional we see who is a nurse, not a doctor. And it's all just very 1958. Yeah. (laughs) And as we see in this moment when, when Jane either passes out or is easily knocked out or whatever the heck happens to her. Steve carries yeah. her into the back and can't open the door, so they hide in the freezer. Um, Jane's worried about her parents, and the blob starts creeping under the door. Yeah, and here's the thing. is like, they're in a meat freezer. Like, throw some meat at it. <laughs> then it'll absorb the meat and leave you alone. But then it'll get bigger. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. But it's still coming for them, and they're, like, cornered. Right, like, yes. Throw some throw some meat and maybe it'll like yum 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 and back up a little bit i don't know the dog barks at it and then the blob retreats for no immediately apparent reason but they'll figure it out i think he retreats to go get the dog no because oh because he because they yeah he like the dog is barking and then the blob like retreats and then all of a sudden the dog stops barking and she's like Oh no, the dog! And he's like, "You yeah. can't do anything about it, Jane." She's very yes, she's very upset about the dog. No, but the we find we realized later. Steve realizes later that the real reason the blob retreated is because it doesn't like the cold. Oh yeah, yeah, because they're in the freezer. So they they open the door and the blob is gone, and they run for it. And the other kids come running up, and the little dog is okay. We just saw him up the street. <laughs> Yeah, and it's weird here because the the kids say to the other kids, where have you kids been? <laughs> As if they're not kids. And I'm like, this just goes to prove, yeah, that they're actually 30-year-old. Yeah, yep. So uh, <laughs> Steve tells Tony to call, call who? The police, I guess? Because I'm supposed mm-hmm. to be asleep and ask for Dave, but Dave is gone and Jim answers and is an asshole. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, we have to wake up the town, but Jim is paranoid. And so I think this is where he talks about those kids. They're just trying to fuck with me because of my war record or whatever. 
So the yeah. kids just start honking their horns and ringing bells, and somehow they get their hands on the air raid siren. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we see an old couple wake up, and the man gets his civilian defense helmet out. And they're in separate beds. Oh, are they? Yeah, they're like they're they're sleeping in two separate beds in the same room. Yeah, it's like a thing. This is '58, and on TV, I don't know the exact year, but TV people didn't start sleeping in the same bed together regularly until the '70s, I think. Mm-hmm. The Bradys thought they were the first couple to share a bed, but they were mistaken. It was the Munsters. But then something I read the other day said it was something even something more obscure. Uh, yeah, there was this weird thing um, in TV and I guess in movies, but more on TV, the idea that there's a married couple with children and yet we can't even suggest <laughs> that they're sleeping in the same bed. Yeah. Although maybe one of them tosses and turns a lot, so they got separate beds. Sure, yeah. Anyway, he gets up and goes to get his civil defense helmet. Uh, this is a thing left over from World War II. There was this, this you know, uh, readiness in case bombers ever came and started bombing the cities. They had these air raid sirens. But it's also a, a element of the Cold War, this, uh, this idea that enemy planes might come and start bombing the cities at any minute. And so we have to have a siren to warn everybody. Mm-hmm. And then the sound of the siren changes to a fire engine siren you can hear the director off camera say fire. He's cueing the guy that the sound has changed. Because <laughs> I don't know if they're adding the sound in later in post-production or, or what, but he, you can just barely hear the director say fire. So when the sound changes to a, a fire siren, he goes to get like his volunteer fire department helmet and doesn't know which one he should wear. <laughs> Yeah. And at Jane's house, Danny's gone and the parents realize that both the kids are missing and then they but they find Danny on the couch. And he says, they're like, What are you doing here? He says, I'm guarding you. Mm-hmm. Well, you're doing a pretty shitty job of it, Danny, because you fell asleep at your <laughs> post. You will be facing a court martial. <laughs> you're a shit guard, Danny. <laughs> Uh, on the street, people are gathering, and Steve tries to explain and warn them, and then Jim shows up, and then Dave, and he tells them, you know, we saw a monster in the store, and Dave believes him. Mm-hmm. And Dave does have this moment where he says, just keep calm, and I screamed, and take shelter and make it! <laughs> Uh, Dave tells everyone there is an emergency, but that's all I can tell you right now. Clear the area. Go home. We'll keep in touch over the radio station. Hey, yo. So they woke everybody up just to tell them to go home. Go home. Chill. (laughs) Clear the area. And then we cut to the movie theater where the blob is in the vents or the ducts. And it gets into the projection room and eats the projectionist, kills the film, and starts oozing out of the holes. (laughs) Out of like the vents. And this whole set, I mean, this this movie is is a classic and it's a pretty well-known mm-hmm. movie, but this movie theater part is sort of one of the best-known scenes in the oh, okay. film. I, it's one of those things that a clip of it, uh, when it comes oozing out of the theater, uh-huh. and all the people running out of the theater, and yeah, the yeah. it's the kind of thing that you might see clips of 
in other things. It's a very famous movie moment. Jim exits the store. Mm-hmm, the grocery store. Oh yeah, yeah. He he went in to check out the grocery store, and he says, "There's nobody here but us monsters." Mm-hmm. Fuck you, Jim. <laughs> and then the panic mob comes running around the corner, and Dave and Jim run to see what the panic to the theater panic run to theater. Mm-hmm. Panic. And Dave comes. Yeah, they run into the theater as everybody's running out. They run into the theater. Dave comes back out, and there's gunshots. Guns are no good. It's the most horrible thing I've seen in my life. And here's where the blob comes oozing out of the theater doors. Yeah, and it's real big now. And then fucking Danny stands yeah, in the middle of the street here, Danny. shooting his cap gun at it and then throws it and runs into the diner. And the blob covers the diner. Entire diner. Yes. So inside the diner, we end up with Steve, Jane, Davey, Danny, the owner, and the waitress. Mm-hmm. are all trapped inside of the diner as the blob envelops. It's one of those uh, train car style diners. Mm-hmm. And uh, the blob envelops the entire diner. And the police call it into the diner on the phone. Dave wants to drop a power line on the blob. So they said you get... Ah, the-, the old power line trick, Yes. Eh? yes. <laughs> and so he tells them to get into the cellar. Tells them... To take shelter in the basement. Hey! Into the cellar. 60, and uh, in 60 seconds, we'll uh, drop the power line. And then the teens in the fire truck pull up, and Jim shoots the power line, but it didn't work. Jane's mom's upset. Dad aggressively comforts her. <laughs> That's what I wrote. Because he just grabs her and holds her really <laughs> forcefully. Uh, and then fire, there's smoke in the basement. So I think this power line trick has started a fire instead. Yeah, it did, yeah. And they all prepare to bravely face death. I know. And I'm thinking, like, are they really going to kill these kids? Like, <laughs> kids, quote, unquote. And the, uh, the the diner owner tries to put out the fire with the extinguisher. And Steve realizes that this is the answer. Cold is the answer. Mm-hmm. And he yells at the phone because the phone is like on the counter upstairs <laughs> and they're yeah. in the basement. So he's yelling out at the phone that to get all the CO2 extinguishers they can. And Mr. Martin, Steve's father, says there's uh, or is it Jane's father. Yeah, Steve's father owns the store. Sorry, Jane's father's the principal. Mm-hmm. He says, I know where we can get 20 of those at the school. So he and all the teenagers rush to the school to start gathering up fire extinguishers and mm-hmm. they have to break into the school. Yeah. He apparently just doesn't have a school keys on him <laughs> at the diner. The fire department has a few extinguishers. Jim's been trying to call higher up the chain of command of authority and they've called, got a call through to Washington, but he thought I was crazy at first, but he's getting someone now. So they're, they're basically, they're trying to call the army and, to help mm-hmm. yeah they've managed to get through kids arrive with the co2 everyone sprays the blob retreats dave's on the explo- on the phone to washington explaining the probably to the government why he wants a transport he wants a transport plane to take it to the arctic yeah transport to the arctic <laughs> this is also where we find out there was 40 or 50 people killed yes yes and everyone crawls out of the diner basement and the blob freezes up, solidifies. Mm-hmm. 
And they speculate that I don't think it can be killed, but at least we've got it stopped. Dave says this. And Steve's like, yeah, as long as the Arctic stays cold. So global warming is going to be an issue (laughs) in our blob containment plan. And then we cut to a crate parachuting into the Arctic and the end. And then the end letters morph into a question mark. (laughs) There is a sequel to this movie. Yes, called Beware the Blob, in which somebody who was on some kind of job in the Arctic brings back a little chunk of the blob. Oh, shit. Thaws it out like a dumbass. (laughs) And then there was a remake in the 80s, which I saw in the theater when it was... When it was new. Wow. Yeah, I my brother was like, Oh the Blob, that's one of my favorite classic horror movies. So I'm wondering if he if he means if it's this one or if it's yeah, the eighty eighty eight is when the remake came out. It also features a lot of teenagers dealing with that are thirty years old. No, I think they look more like teenagers. Uh, <laughs> Oh, in August 2009, it was revealed that musician-turned-director Rob Zombie was working on another remake, but he later left the project. That Rob Zombie what? Was working on another remake. Oh, really? But he left the project. In January 2015, he was replaced by Simon West as director. It was announced that the film would be produced by Richard Saperstein and Brian Witten with the producer of the original film, Jack H. Harris, as executive producer. Harris died in 2017, and there have been no updates as of 2021. Damn. That's all from Wikipedia, of course. I really would have been excited for the Rob Zombie remake. (laughs) Yeah. So how many stars? Uh, Four. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm going to give this a 3.5. And I, it was good. I liked it. It was, yeah, it's just, it's not like just so amazing to me, but it was definitely good. Yeah. 3.5 for me. It's a real classic. And I think it's just yeah. generally a little higher quality than some of the things. That totally. And it's like one of the first movies that is in color. Yeah. You know. Yeah. We're still stuck in a lot of, the, I mean, the Mysterians was in color, but a lot of these are still in black and white. Yeah. And um, the budget, did I mention the budget? The budget was 110000 and the box office was $4 million. Damn. What was that fucking theme song? Yeah. I don't have the exact size of the monster, but as big as a diner. Yeah, it covers like a whole Denny's. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, you use your imagination. <laughs> so that's it for The Blob. Uh, at the some- Blob. 10, 10 years from now or whenever we get to it, this this podcast is still going, we will get to the remake. In the 80s, yeah. We we're a few, few decades away, but we'll get there. The sequel was 1972. Oh, okay. Directed by Larry Hagman of Dallas fame. It's described as a campy sequel, so I, I can't remember. I think I've seen it, and it's a much shittier movie. <laughs> Damn it. Uh, and I think that one's on YouTube. This one is, uh, if you haven't watched it yet, this one is on HBO right now, on HBO Max. So uh, you can watch it there. Yeah, totally recommend. It is definitely good. It's a classic. Good stuff. 
Yeah. Thanks for listening, everybody. If you you can find us on all the socials and all of that stuff. Just look for Monster Movie Funtime Go. Please rate and review if you enjoy the show. Email us at monstermoviefuntimego at gmail.com. Until next time, keep calm and take shelter in basements. Don't misuse science. We will not see you, but you will hear us next time on Monster Movie Funtime Go. Monster Movie Funtime Go! Thanks once again to my brother Gabriel and my sister Lita for the new theme song. If you enjoy it, you can purchase a single of it for a dollar on Bandcamp.com, and I will put the link to that in the show notes. And now, here is the premiere of the outro version of the theme. You've been listening to Monster Movie Funtime Go! If you enjoyed the show, please rate and review us on your podcasting platform of choice. Our theme song is by the Texacato Folk Rock Punk featuring Lita Lopez. You can support the show, find links to our social media, and even leave us a voice message at anchor.fm slash mnftg. Go!